please turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately put him out on a a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at that last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who were reclining at the table heard him say this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word here, uh, as recorded by Luke in chapter 14. I pray that your spirit in us would uh, open the eyes of our heart, as the scripture says, and we would be um, ready and willing to hear uh, what truth you have for us. We thank you for uh, the blessing of having so many copies of your word uh, in our lives, and I pray that we would be impacted by its authority today. pray this in the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. And please... Thank you, Spencer. I love it. I'm just going to move it while we're preaching to right here to be picked up after the service and promptly framed in our offices. I'll say on behalf of Steve and all of the elders that we thank God for you as well. Well, most people 
enjoy being invited over for dinner. Even if you're not a people person, the invitation is still nice. It still feels good to be invited over. I sound a little echoey. Am I echoey? I feel echoey. Maybe just try turning me down, which I never say turn me down, because I'm not a loud person, like other people who sometimes take this stage and open God's word. But we enjoy being invited over for dinner. And most of the time, when we show up at a dinner party, we don't want to make a scene. Most of us, we're not looking to be difficult, we're not looking to make a stink, we're not looking to be argumentative. I was kind that that person invited us over for dinner. We want to be pleasant to be around. Well, Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. And yet Jesus' highest priority is not to be polite. We see right away that Jesus, he gets into it with his host and with the other guests. And so as a means of kind of introducing where Jesus is going to go with the main thrust of this passage... Let's look at the first six verses briefly. Verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read it out one more time. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So right away we see here that Jesus is not interested in just making friends. He's going to be be brutally honest with his host. He's going to be brutally honest with the guests that are also there with him. Because at the end of the day, Jesus wasn't invited over because they wanted to honor him. The Pharisees here, they didn't invite him over with this spirit of hospitality, with a spirit of generosity. They invited him over to hopefully trip him up. They invited him over to catch him in something that he he might say so that they could accuse him. Look back at that first verse. The text says that they're watching him carefully. Now, right away, Jesus is having none of it. And he brings up a a sensitive topic that he actually just addressed a chapter earlier in, in the book of Luke. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And Jesus is going to make sure that his hosts and all the other guests remember the answer to that question. He he said it not long ago, but I want to make sure you got what I said. It is. It is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. What better way to honor the Sabbath than to do good? Now, the religious leaders who are present at this dinner, they don't like that answer because it undermines their traditions. More importantly, it it undermines their authority. And yet they remain silent. They don't have a good answer for Jesus. And this sets the stage for Jesus to continue to push the envelope. He's going to continue to be something of a difficult dinner guest, not just for the sake of being difficult. That's not what Jesus is after. No, he's teaching his host. He's teaching everyone else at this dinner party some very important truth. He's going to explain what the kingdom of God is like. Or more specifically, he's going to explain what the people in the kingdom of God are like. This is dinner party etiquette in the kingdom of God. Three characteristics 
that are true of people in God's kingdom. And so the first characteristic is this. People in God's kingdom, they are filled with humility and not pride. So let's look at verses 7 to 11 together. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you've ever been to a baseball game, you probably know that more often than not, the stadium is, it has seats that are empty. It's not full. Right now, we're in the playoffs. Most of the stadiums are pretty full. But if you just went to like a random Detroit Tigers game, nothing against the Tigers, If you went to a random Detroit Tigers game on like a Wednesday afternoon, I've done it. It's not full. It is not at all full. Plenty of seats. And it never fails that someone gets a bright idea. I know I'm in row 88, but like look at row 8 up there. That's so close to the field. I got a better view of everything. Maybe I could get an autograph from a player. But who are we getting from the Tigers? Sorry, getting off that. Uh, Maybe maybe I could catch a ball. Like I'm going to move up closer. I'm going to go to row 8. And so they do. They give in to the temptation. They move down to the lower section. Only problem is, they didn't pay for row 8. They paid for row 88. And there is a big difference between row 8 and row 88 in terms of cost. But people still do it. Maybe you're one of them. And if you are, then you also know what happens to people who do this. They often get caught. There are ushers stationed all over the ballpark, and they're watching, always watching... And I've seen it happen. Someone moves from row 88 to row 8, and the next thing you know, the usher is right there kindly asking, can I see your ticket? And that that person produces their ticket, and then they take the walk of shame back to their seats. And all of us who are major rule followers are like, serves you right, get back to your seat. They didn't deserve to sit in those seats. They didn't pay for those seats. Well, it's a similar principle Here in Luke 14, people are sitting in seats that they didn't deserve to sit in. And they're risking being humiliated if they are asked to move. Just like the usher who's coming to the folks in row 8 and having them move back to row 88. It's embarrassing. Now in Jesus' day, people had special places that they would sit at when invited to meals. And those special places, they represented who was highly respected They represented who was esteemed, who was honored in society. Where you sat said a lot about your social status in society. And so Jesus is, in one sense, he's being very practical here. Don't sit where you might be told to move. That's embarrassing. You don't want that to happen. But he's saying much more. If all that that Jesus gave us here was practical advice about where to sit at the table there really wouldn't be a whole lot for us to take away from this passage this morning. By and large, we're not finding ourselves in context where our seat assignments are like super vital for life. If we're worried about where we're sitting, 
we probably have bigger issues to work through. And that's what Jesus does in verse 11. He works through the bigger issue. And that issue is pride. The example of where we sit at a table, that is just a symptom of a bigger problem. Our hearts are drawn towards recognition. Towards being well thought of. Toward having others respect us, think highly of us. And that's all wrapped up in pride. We want to puff ourselves up. And so Jesus pops the balloon. He cuts down that desire here in verse 11. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, implied by God. And those who humble themselves will be exalted, implied by God. Simple enough to say, certainly harder to live out. Because for those of us who, who, who have been redeemed by grace, those of us who are believers here this morning, we can still say our hearts, they're a complicated mess. Filled with both good desires that God has given to us, but also sinful desires that still remain. And that makes pursuing humility really difficult. I have these mixed motives that I'm constantly fighting against. We can do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, or at least with a mixed bag of reasons. So Jesus is telling us that those who humble themselves, they'll be exalted. But I can take that truth, and I can twist it to serve my own purposes. Okay, God, I'll do the humble thing, but I'm going to do it in order to be exalted. I'm good at, at, at still making it all about me. Now, that's not true humility. That's fake humility. That's a facade. That's a heart that's still bent on elevating self. I want to look good, and this is how I'm going to make it happen. I'll sit in the lowest place so that I can be exalted. Because what I really want is to be exalted. I get the praise. I get the recognition. People will take note of me. We want to be seen. We want to be celebrated. We want the pat on the back. And we can actually try to, to manipulate the situation to get that praise while still giving the appearance of being humble. It's kind of like the idea of a humble brag. I don't just outright brag about myself. I say some, something that sounds really humble, but at the end of the day, it's really just a way to make myself look good. So it is true that the humble will be exalted. But we have to fight the temptation to be humble simply so that we can get exalted. Because here's the real kicker. We actually saw this a few weeks ago. We talked about how God sees our hearts. He sees our hearts this morning as well. God knows who, he knows true humility from fake humility. You can't trick God. Side note, I like to type out my, my sermons, manuscripted. I write a lot of what I'm going to say. I typed out, you can't trick God, using Google Documents. Can was then underlined with a squiggly line, blue squiggly line. Google told me I was grammatically incorrect and suggested I change from can trick God to can't. Even Google knows you can't trick God. I wrote, you can trick God. I was like, oh, whoops. And Google, you know this too. You can't trick God. I've heard things where like Google does weird stuff if you type in Jesus' name. I'm just saying Google did some good weird stuff when I typed in, you can trick God. Told me, no, you can't. Those who do things that look humble or say things that make them sound humble but really just want to elevate themselves, 
that's not the people that are elevated by God. Only those who are truly humble will be exalted. So work hard to kill your pride. Don't assume that you deserve the place of honor. Don't assume you deserve to be exalted. Because those who are, who are truly humble know. Those who are truly humble understand that they don't deserve any of that praise. That they don't deserve any of that recognition. Any honor. Any exaltation. Any of that. That is a gift from an incredibly gracious God given to sinful, weak, fragile creatures. And it is all for His glory. So when we, we, when we truly know ourselves in our sinful state, and when we see ourselves for, for who we are apart from Christ, we will absolutely run to the lowest place. And then we're going to be shocked when God says, friend, move up higher. Me? Are you crazy? Have you seen my heart? Have you seen who I am apart from you? I am a wretch. I was hell-bent on living for myself before you gave me a new heart. I don't deserve this place. I do not deserve to sit here. Then you look at that place of honor that God is inviting you to. You look at that place of honor and you see Christ seated in the heavenly places, totally deserving of that seat. No doubt at all, Jesus, that is exactly where you should be sitting. And yet in his incredible, unfathomable grace, God seats you there with him. Jesus is saying, you will be exalted as Christ is, but we're exalted because he has bought us with his blood and he has made us worthy of that honor. So live humbly now. And remember the truth of the gospel. To keep yourself from getting puffed up. To keep yourself from manipulating the situation. And pretending to be humble so that you can be exalted. Don't go down that path. Remember the gospel. Remember who really deserves exaltation. And then live humbly before him. So that's the first characteristic of people in the kingdom of God. They are filled with humility, not pride. Let's look at the second characteristic together. Those who are in the kingdom of God, they are selfless and not greedy for gain. They are selfless and not greedy for gain. We'll begin reading in verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you are repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus here is giving us a very clear illustration of what it means to love our neighbor. You want to know what it looks like to love our neighbor? This is a good example. And for most of us, it doesn't come easy. This might make us feel a bit uncomfortable it definitely made Jesus' initial hearers uncomfortable. Remember, remember this, Jesus has been invited to dinner with a bunch of the religious leaders of his day. They, they would have absolutely fit the category of friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. They could have easily invited their host over for dinner in return. They could have repaid their host. And so they probably felt kind of uncomfortable looking around the table, 
the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who can't repay their host, they're not here. We're just sitting around a table with a bunch of people that fit the category that Jesus has just had some harsh words for. There's probably an uncomfortable tension in the room. I mean, look at verse 15. This man kind of blurts this out. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, that man was uncomfortable. He didn't like this comparison that was happening between those who could repay and those who couldn't. And so he just like lumped everybody together. I mean, everybody's blessed though, right? Jesus, like everybody, right? Not, not just those who invite the ones that can't repay them, but even the people like me who I basically just invite people over to make myself look good. I'm blessed too, right? Isn't, isn't that happening? This guy doesn't want to think about who or what he prioritizes in life. He doesn't want to think about the fact that he only hangs out with people who can benefit him. So he tries to change the subject. He wants to avoid seeing his own self-centeredness. Because Jesus is making the point we are greedy for gain. Not just financial gain, but any kind of personal gain. I do what I do because it benefits me. I get something out of it. But this isn't how it is for those who are in the kingdom of God. Now, let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with inviting friends and family over. It is not somehow inherently sinful to hang out with people that you know and love, and those people may very well invite you over. If that was inherently sinful, I've been living a very sinful life. At the same time, it is also possible for us to be sinfully selfish even when we hang out with those that society has deemed lowly or insignificant. We can still be doing it for the wrong reasons. Jesus said that in Matthew 6, 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So those who are doing it in the moment for themselves, there's your reward right there. Those who are not doing it for themselves in that moment, there's a reward that is to come. So we can do it. Whether we invite our friends and relatives and rich neighbors, or we invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the, 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 lame, the blind. I knew I was going to do that. We can do both for the wrong reasons. And that is the bigger point that Jesus is driving at. Don't be greedy for gain. Don't do things to build yourself up, to make yourself look good. Don't just do things to get something out of it. Those who are a part of the kingdom do the opposite. They serve. When we serve others, we're sacrificing of ourselves. We're giving our time, we're giving our ability, we're giving our resources for the benefit of someone else. And so if we make decisions that are based on how much something or someone benefits us, we don't really get what it means to be a Christian. And we don't really understand who Jesus is. He himself said, the Son of Man came, that's him, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't concerned about his own personal benefit as he set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't concerned about his own personal benefit when he set out as he journeyed toward the cross. He was thinking about his father. 
and accomplishing all that his Father had given him to do. He was thinking about us and reconciling us to the Father and the joy of seeing God's people restored. He was giving of himself for the sake of others. And so this is a call for us in the kingdom of God to be selfless and not to be greedy for gain. That's the second characteristic of those in the kingdom. And now let's look at the third. Those who are in the kingdom, they have their priorities straight. And they aren't too busy for God. Let's read verses 15 to 24 again. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So Jesus tells this parable about this man who gave this great banquet. And he he invited a bunch of people to attend. Now the way that Jesus tells this parable, it seems that he sent out invitations ahead of time. Makes sense. That's how we do it in our culture. We send out an invitation so people save the date. They know, I'm going to go do this on this day. So all of those who were invited, they knew that there was this banquet that they had been invited to. When the servant comes along, though, and he says, come, for everything is now ready, we see that they have these excuses. It's not like these people were caught off guard. It's not like they're like, oh, no, I, didn't, I already had this planned. If you had told me ahead of time, I could have made it. No, they, they knew. They just didn't care to attend. It just didn't matter that much to them as these other things. And they each had their excuses to not go. They had more important things to attend to. They cared more about checking out their new field or trying out their new oxen, or spending time with their spouse. I'll be honest, the marriage excuse kind of makes sense to me. I can't imagine, after Casey and I got married, somebody inviting me over and me being like, Casey, no honeymoon right now, we got dinner to go to. Can't imagine that. That would not go well, but that just goes to show how important this banquet was. It was important enough to be like, hey, we just got married, that's cool, we need to go to this banquet. We got we to be there. You know who's throwing this banquet? We have to be there. Everyone invited absolutely should come. The master expected everyone to be there. And when they weren't there, because they had all made these excuses, some lousy excuses, the master gets angry, and he says to his servant, go and and get those who would be considered unworthy to attend my banquet. Go get them, bring them in. Those who would never be invited to an important event like this, welcome them in. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sound like anybody Jesus has already talked about in this passage? They were all invited, and did you hear it? None of them made excuses in the text. No excuses there. 
They were not going to miss this banquet for anything. They had their priorities straight. And then after they came, there was still room. So the the master invited more people until his house was full. Now, we're not told the exact occasion for the banquet, but clearly the master wanted as many people as possible to share in it as could. And so he made sure to fill his house with people who actually wanted to be there, people who weren't too busy for him. They had their priorities straight. Now, Jesus doesn't come out and say it, but the message is clear. Remember the words that the man said in verse 15, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he, he's affirming these man, this man's words, these words, but with one very significant caveat. Not everyone that you would expect to be in the kingdom will actually be in the kingdom. From the parable, you would have expected the original guests to attend. They had their priorities backwards, so they weren't there at the banquet. And from the parable, you wouldn't have expected the social outcasts, those deemed unworthy to have been in attendance. And yet they were the very ones who were there. Those in the kingdom absolutely are blessed. But Jesus is making it clear, not everyone you'd expect to see in the kingdom will be there. So that brings us to the thrust of this entire passage. It's all been building up to verse 24. These parables were not just given to us to teach us about how to relate to each other. They're not just given to us to teach us how to be a good host or or how to be a good guest. This isn't just teaching on banquet behavior, where to sit, where not to sit, who to invite, who not to invite, what to do when the people you invited didn't show up. If that was all that we were getting out of this, we'd be missing something. That's incomplete. Because these parables are also given to us to teach us how to relate to God. Because you see here, Jesus is the master of the banquet. He is the one who threw the great banquet. How do we know that? Wait a sec. Jesus did not say that he was the master here. Look back at verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus concludes the parable with these words. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, in the parable, the master is credited with these words. The master said those words, and he said them to his, his servant, a singular person. One servant he's having a conversation with, he says those words. Starting back in verse 23, you see more of what he says. Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So those are all words spoken by the master. He spoke them to his servant. But here's the thing. In that last verse, maybe your Bible footnotes it, when Jesus says, you, for I tell you, he's using the plural form of you, which is hard to come through in English because we typically don't speak in any kind of plural use unless you're Tony from Texas and you say y'all. We don't say y'all that often. We just say you, and then you have to figure out, okay, how, what, what you are you talking about? Is it more people than one? Is it two people? What are we looking at? But in Greek, you can distinguish between you singular and you plural. And in verse 24, you plural is used. Because now Jesus has inserted himself into the parable. And now Jesus has inserted all of his listeners sitting around that table at the Pharisee's house into the parable. And so he has shifted from, I'm telling you a story, to, I'm actually talking to you, all of you at the table. 
you leaders of the Jews, you were invited to my banquet and you rejected the invitation. Jesus is telling this parable and in not so subtle ways, he's saying, you guys sitting at this table with me, you're the guests who rejected the invitation. The king has come. The the kingdom has come with the king and yet instead of warmly receiving the king, you've watched him carefully. 14 verse 1. You watched him carefully. You tried to catch him in his words. You set traps for him. You've rejected him. You've conspired to kill him. You weren't just too busy for the banquet. You wanted to kill the host of the banquet. And so in in the immediate context here, who Jesus is talking to first and foremost is the Jewish leaders. And they represent the Jewish people. They've rejected Jesus. And in doing so, now in more obvious, overt ways, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are getting welcomed into the kingdom. They're being invited in. Later in Luke, Jesus tells another parable about this vineyard with these wicked tenants. And they were terrible tenants. And at the end of the parable, the owner of the vineyard kicks the wicked tenants out, and he says, I'm going to give the vineyard to others. Same idea here. The master of the house throws this great banquet, invites many, they reject his invitation, and he says, okay, I'm going to invite others. So now the door is, it's swung wide for the Gentiles. The kingdom is offered to them in these very overt ways. Not that Gentiles were excluded before. You can read your whole Bible and see God's heart for all the nations. But now, in even more obvious ways, the Gentiles are are being focused in on. Read the book of Acts. You see it clear as day. So that's the immediate context of the parable. Jesus is the host. The initial guests who make all kinds of excuses, they're the Jews. And the later guests who don't make any excuses, they're the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Okay, there. We've identified all the players in the story. Cool. Great. Now we can go home. Let's pause. Because if we walk away from this passage and we just think about these two big groups of people in probably rather abstract ways, we've probably stopped short of taking it to heart. I'm going to be honest. I don't spend most of my week thinking about my identity as a Gentile. It's rare that I'm like, Colin, Gentile, right. That's who I am. I'm a Gentile. And that's, that's kind of okay. It's all right to not always think about the fact that I'm a Gentile. What's not okay is forgetting my status as an undeserving guest at God's great banquet. Because that's how a Gentile would have been viewed in Jesus' day. That is totally how those sitting at this table would have looked at the Gentiles. Well, they would never receive God's grace. There's no way those people would be included in the people of God. There's no way that those people would ever have a place at God's table. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. We are undeserving. But not because we're Gentiles. But because at one time, we were all enemies of God. In opposition to God. Rebelling against him, wanting nothing to do with him. And so how incredible it is that those of us who are in Christ have been invited to the table. We who were once far off have been brought near. We did nothing to earn God's favor. We did nothing to warrant his grace. He chose us because it pleased him to do so. He didn't choose us because of anything in us. He didn't choose us because of anything that we had done or anything that we would do. He chose us in his good pleasure, ugly and blemished as we were, unworthy as we were, completely 
undeserving outsiders that you would have never expected to be welcomed as honored guests. And yet we were. We were welcomed in as honored guests because of Christ. His death on the cross for our sins, His resurrection from the grave, made us sinners into saints, saved by grace through faith. What a marvelous reality that is. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, and those things are not true of you, and yet God's Spirit is working in you, and for the first time, you are, you are seeing your sin clearly, God is working in your heart, and He is showing you just how undeserving you are, and at the same time, He is revealing to you Christ, and how marvelous and beautiful and gracious and merciful He is. Then turn from your sin today and come to Christ. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so come to Jesus. And for those of us who are already in Christ, we have every reason to rejoice today and to also long for a future day. So we've been given reason to to rejoice. I hope we've seen that already. If Jesus Christ has made you his own, If by grace through faith you have been saved from your sin, you are already in God's kingdom. You are a citizen of that kingdom. You are seated at the table of God's great banquet. An invited guest, as crazy as that may be, you're invited in. We rejoice in that right here, right now. And yet we also have every reason to long for this this future day, a day to come, because the kingdom has not arrived in all of its fullness. Multiple times in this passage, Jesus makes mention of this like future day. Remember what he said in verse 11. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That exalting, it hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for the day when God is going to make all things right, when he's going to set the record straight, and when his people will be rewarded for their faithfulness. And then remember when Jesus said back in verses 13 and 14, to invite to dinner those who can't repay you, to love those who can't love you back, to serve those who who can't serve you in return. He said that there is a great reward at the resurrection of the just. So there absolutely is this still future reality about the kingdom of God. And so we eagerly await that day when we are going to enjoy God's presence forever, when we're going to see him face to face. And, And all of the riches of our eternal inheritance that will be there. And our, our greatest inheritance of all is going to be God himself. That is a day that we get to look forward to. That is a day that, that right now we can rejoice in as we anticipate. That's why we do things even as we take communion. We consider, I am in one sense seated at the table, and yet there's a day that will come when it will be even bigger and even better than right now. And so let's live as those who are in the kingdom. Let's be kingdom-minded in that way because of what Jesus has done to make us welcomed guests at God's table. Let's pray together. Father God, we are, we are humbled at the thought that you would welcome us to your feast. That you would bring us in. We see in our sin how dirty we are. We see our filth. We see that we are like the, the one who's in the miry clay. And yet, Lord, you have you've brought us out. And you have, in your grace, you've, you've cleaned us up. 
Not just this external cleansing where we somehow just kind of look good or where we somehow put on the face to, to make it. No, God, you have done a work in our hearts. And we are thankful for that, Lord. So, God, we, we pray as we have been guests invited in that you would be doing a work in us to make us more and more like your Son. To make us more and more people who are, are humble and selfless and have their priorities straight. Because we realize that, that there is so much work yet to be done in us. And, Father, we pray that, that you would continue your good work of bringing more and more people into the kingdom, that they too could rejoice in you, can enjoy sitting at table with you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that your love compels us. We pray that you would continue to work in our hearts by your grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.